Welcome to part three of the Way of the Spirit and Network Norwich's podcast, talking about Jesus' baptism according to Mark's Gospel. This talk is delivered to you by Richard George of the Way of the Spirit, and for more information, visit www.thewayofthespirit.com. Well, welcome to this session of six podcasts on the baptism of Jesus at the Jordan, primarily from Mark's Gospel, and we, we now, in week three, come to the baptism itself. And we read in verse 9 of Mark chapter 1, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. So here's Jesus coming up and he's fully identifying with mankind by being baptised himself uh, as all, all these other hordes of people coming out have been baptised. It's not that Jesus needs forgiving or cleansing because he's been walking uh, perfectly and sinlessly, but it, but he's identifying with humanity. He's, he's, he's a man and he's coming identifying with men and being baptised with everybody else in the Jordan. And verse 10 says, As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. It doesn't say it was a dove, it says it was like a dove. I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, that's a phrase that we read often in prophetic and apocalyptic literature in the Bible. This like a, like a. It was like this. I couldn't quite describe it, but it looked it was like this. And we see it, we're going to see it a lot in Revelation. It, well, it's like, like a rainbow, like a sea of glass. I can't really describe it. And, and so Jesus sees, it seems to imply Jesus is seeing the Spirit come upon him. And, and it, it seems like a dove. And note he doesn't say the sky is torn open. It says heaven is torn open. Not that, you know, somewhere up there, if we send the rocket up, it goes long enough, we'd find the, the, the place where if we ripped it apart, we'd walk into heaven. I mean, heaven wasn't thought of like that in, in, in the days that Mark was writing, even if we tend to think like that today, wrongly, probably. More, heaven is perhaps a dimension around us that we don't see anymore since the fall. Since Adam sinned, since man rebelled against God, heaven and earth separated. And they're going to come back again at the end. That's what Revelation is all about. They're going to integrate. But in the meantime, they're separate. But while they're separate, here's Jesus. And he sees heaven being torn open. Uh, and the Spirit descending on him. The implication is the Spirit's coming from heaven, isn't it? On, on him like a dove. And this, this scene here is, is an amazing scene, really, uh, of, of God at work in, in creation. Because what we've got here is a scene of the Trinity. We've got the three parts of God operating together in unity, each playing their own specific role, but together and united uh, to achieve his, the purposes of God. And uh, I, I wonder if you can think of any other places in Scripture where, where we see this, where we see the three parts of God, as it were, working in unity. I mean, they always are working in unity. The point is that really... The, the, the Godhead is never divided, except when Jesus perhaps died on the cross. But throughout, from the beginning to the end, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have worked, in, have worked together. And uh, God in action is always the three of them together in action. And so here we have the, the Jesus, who is the Son, or the Word. We have the Father, who's going to speak in a minute, but is, is certainly willing all this to happen. It's his purpose. And the Holy Spirit is coming upon the Word or the Son like a dove. And so we have the, the, whole, the wholeness of the Godhead working together at this incredibly significant moment in human history where the Son of God is here being baptised and being equipped for his ministry. 
Perhaps another place we could, we could see that in operation would be the very beginning. If we went back to Genesis and we'd see the, we'd see the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. Waters representing chaos. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit hovering over chaos. And the Father, God, speaking, let there be light. So his word is going forth. We know from John that Jesus is the word. The word going forth. So you've got the Father, you've got the Father willing it and purposing it. You've got the Holy Spirit hovering over chaos. And you've got the word of God going forth. And when the word of God hits the spirit of God, something is created. And so it's the whole Godhead working together. God is always hovering over chaos, waiting for the word to be spoken. Not the clever sermon, but the word. And when the word of God goes forth and hits the spirit, then something's created. And, and anything that God creates is always, always, always good. I mean, you read Genesis. He made this. It was good. He made that. It was good. He blessed it. Everything God makes is good. And Eden was good. The world was good in the beginning. And, and so, uh, we haven't got time to reflect too much on this today. Want, but, but, you see, God has always worked like this. When, when he sent his prophets to old Israel, they're anointed by the Holy Spirit and they're speaking the word that God gives them. And so God's working through his word by his spirit. You know, whenever there's been revival in, in Bible times or in church history, uh, the word and the spirit have been at the heart of it. And so here is this wonderful picture of the Godhead uh, operating together at the beginning of this, the ministry of this man, Jesus, fully God, fully man, who's going to, in due course, come out preaching a revolutionary new message and carrying a revolutionary new, new thing that he's going to speak and release. Um, we'll, we'll look at that uh, briefly in a later session. Uh, and so, yes, here's, here's the equipping of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Now, you see, Jesus is a man. We, we, we know this. He's, he's, he's not half man, half God. He's fully God, fully man. What we tend to do is shove it together and make it half man, half God. He's not that at all. He's fully God and fully man. You have to hold both sides of the paradox completely. He's, a fully, he's made like his brothers in every way, it says in Hebrews. He's, he's, he's not exactly like us, but, he's, but he's like, he's as, he's as much human, he was as much human as you and I. Uh, and so he needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit to do what he was called to do. And we can see that very clearly if we read the same account of the same events in Luke, where Luke is, takes great pains to, to show us, to tell us that he's led by the Spirit into the desert after, his tempt, after, all this, after the um, baptism. He's then led by the Spirit into the desert. And he says he comes out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. And Luke is more clear than any of the other evangelists that Jesus absolutely requires the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, the equipping of the Holy Spirit, in order to do what he's now called to do as a man. We'll see what he is called to do in a minute, in briefly. But, and so we really can identify uh, with Jesus uh, at this time. Well, clearly, we haven't got ministries like Jesus's, But we can identify with his need to be, his need to be equipped by God for what he's called to do. He's done nothing up to this point. He's, there are no stories of any miracles or sermons or prophecies or, or anything in his life. He's now 30 years old, the same age as a, 
a priesthood staff of 30. And he comes and he's equipped. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and empowers him in the same way that the Holy Spirit came upon many people in the Old Testament. You know, as we read of coming upon people, all the judges, the Holy Spirit came upon them to do what they were called to do. And so here is a sort of ultimate ministry, isn't it? That of Jesus. And Jesus is empowered by, by God, by the Holy Spirit, to, to do all that he's going to be called to do. And, and then it goes on, and the Spirit descending on like a dove. Well, what's a dove? In Scripture, who can have a stab at that if you don't already know? What's a dove? What's a, sim what's a symbolizing dove? What does a dove symbolize? Obvi what's the obvious symbol of it? Peace. Peace. Yes, well, it's a lovely picture, isn't it? The Father, the Son, the Spirit, it's rather cosy. It's a, like a family affair. And down comes the Holy Spirit upon Jesus like a dove, symbolizing peace. The trouble is, that's not the, on, that's not the only symbol, that's not the only thing that a dove represents. But the dove isn't just a symbol of peace. And elsewhere, again, if we go to Luke, we would read that when uh, Jesus' parents took him to be consecrated at the, or circumcised probably, uh, I can't remember which, maybe both, uh, at the temple, uh, dedicated or whatever it was they took him to do, they took a, sacrif they took a sacrifice with them. And the sacrifice was a pair of pigeons, or a dove. And so the dove represents, as well as peace, the dove represents sacrifice. Uh, and so what we have at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus the man coming to the Jordan, being equipped for his ministry, but what we have is, yes, peace coming upon him, but also, is it a foreshadowing of what he's called to? Do we see a prefiguring of his ministry? Because just as the dove is going to be torn in two and placed on the altar, so Jesus' body is going to hang on the cross, sacrificially killed. You know, very often at the beginning of our, uh, our, our ministries or at the beginning of our Christian lives or when we're baptized in the Spirit or, so, or when we're born again or we have some encounter with God, very often the Holy Spirit will come to us in a way which can often, it's not law, so it doesn't have to be, but can often be a prefiguring of what he's calling us to. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. How did he come? Fire, tongues of fire, and the wind blowing through the door. Well, they were about to be blown out around the known world, and they were going to have to have tongues of fire preaching the gospel. I remember being given an opportunity before I ever understood any of this stuff as, a, as an Anglican, you know, pre-life, <laughs> uh, just getting a chance, uh, having sat at the back of the church for 10 years and not said anything or done anything ever, uh, being asked just to share something during a time when I was being revived and there was something going on in the world, and it, it, the, the whole, there was a move of the Spirit going on across the country. And I remember sharing something and just inviting sharing a word which came alive to me so clearly and vividly. It was actually the, the filling of the temple in Kings. And as I stood and shared this, one woman went flat forwards in her pew. Someone else was pregnant and the baby turned in her, in her womb. And someone else got the joy and started laughing. And I didn't have a clue what was going on. And I don't think anyone else did either because we weren't that sort of church. <laughs> 
But as I look back, I see a, a, sort, of, a sort of prefiguring of what God was going to, the excitement he was going to put in me for the word and the desire to see the, the spirit moving through the word in people's lives. And, and to seeing people's lives change and, and the manifestation sometimes of the Holy things of the Spirit. Uh, and if I look back over uh, the last 15 years or so, that is what I've seen. That is what I've carried. That is who I am. That's what God has made me to be. Someone who's excited about the Word of God and can't wait to bring it alive. And so in one sense, it was true for me. And I wonder if it's true for you that uh, there's something that God showed you or some passion he put on your heart or some great desire you had at the beginning of it all. It may not be that you feel equipped for that. In fact, it's much better if you don't. I didn't feel equipped in any way to stand up and say anything in front of anybody, let alone teach for hours on end. <laughs> but you see, God, God does choose the uh, foolish to confound the wise. He, 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 he picks us and gives us things to do that are entirely opposite on, of our nature and our personality sometimes. And then all the more he is glorified through what we do and so we point to Jesus I've no desire to point to myself at all in any way shape or form I'd much sooner go and read a book in my shed which is my office and to stay out of the limelight you know but I'm very happy to be here pointing to Jesus I prefer you all looking at him rather than me because he is the one who is to be glorified in all that we do and we give uh, you know, all glory to him and we're witnesses pointing to our lives point to him and, and that's the idea of what ministry is isn't it Amen Thank you for listening to this podcast for more information on the way of the spirit please visit www.thewayofthespirit.com